You're listening to the Historical Bookworm Show for lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction. Join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley and Darcy Fournier. Writing fiction is Melanie Dobson's excuse to immerse herself in the past by reading old books, interviewing new friends, and exploring fascinating places around the world. She is the award-winning author of almost 30 historical time slip and romantic suspense novels. Melanie received her undergraduate degree in journalism from Liberty University and her master's degree in communication from Regent University. When she's not writing, she enjoys teaching at writers' events and as an adjunct professor. Melanie lives with her husband, John, in the Pacific Northwest. They have two daughters and enjoy traveling, hiking, and serving together in their community. Melanie Dobson, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here with you guys today. Yeah, I'm so excited to get to talking about your latest release, The Wings of Poppy Pendleton. But before we get into that, with autumn bringing the start of football season as well as baseball's World Series, I'm wondering if you enjoy watching or playing any sports? (laughs) I love that question. Um, I am not an athlete. However, my husband is watching a football game right now as we speak. (laughs) So this is his favorite time of the year. Um, This time of year for our family um, usually brings band events. So my, yeah, I have a daughter that's in the high school color guard. And so, you know, we've got the football games. I always say I have to watch the football game in order to watch the halftime show, <laughs> which is my the, my reason for going. So yeah, this time of year, it's a whole bunch of music and I just love fall. So my birthday is in October. And so such great memories of hayrides and being outside and the leaves changing colors and all of that. But no football games for me this year. No, I don't blame you. I prefer football games in person, like high school games, because like you say, you're outside, you get that fall feeling, and you get to hear the band. On TV, when you watch a football game, you never get to hear the band. Right. That's the highlight for me. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, your bio mentions that your professional writing began with journalism. How do you think that influences your fiction writing? Oh, yes. I My major in college was journalism, and I thought I was going to go out there and be a newspaper or magazine reporter. And I did that for a really short amount of time and absolutely loved talking to people and loved hearing people's stories. But I, when I went to write my stories, I always found that I wanted to like add things. Like It would be so much more interesting if this happened or if I could write about what they were feeling or if I could add you know, some sort of fictional element, which of course you cannot do in journalism. And so I felt really restricted by that. And now that I'm actually writing fiction full-time, and I have been for 20 plus years, I have discovered that I can still use that journalism background to do my research. I, I, I like to say I'm kind of a research junkie. I could just research a research and never actually write. I'm sure other, other historical novelists maybe feel like that as well, where we just love the research part of it. And so I can do that and I have to have deadlines in order to actually write the story. Um, but yeah, with my journalism background, background, I can do the research, I can interview people, and then I can write stories. Most of my novels are based on actual events or something that happened in the past, or at least inspired by actual events. And so I'm able to use that that background and then create fiction from that. 
and then do exactly what you always wanted to embellish it. Exactly, right? I know. <laughs> Makes it so much more interesting. That's awesome. And I bet that background does help a lot with the research. I know that um, for me, just diving into research is sometimes feels overwhelming with like where to look and how to get the information that you need and, you know, know it's, it's perfectly accurate and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of a learning curve. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Well, I saw on your website that you were an avid reader as a child, which I think is pretty common for authors, but you mentioned it specifically. So what is a favorite book written for young readers that still sticks with you today? Oh my goodness. I love that. Yes, I was an avid reader and we lived out in the country in Ohio where we had no access to, I mean, the library was a long way away. We didn't have any bookstores. You know, this was, in, I grew up pre-Kindle, pre, you know, pre-internet. This is a long time ago. And so we used to have a bookmobile that would come once a week and it would come about a mile from my house. And so I would jump on my little bike and it would pedal over there and the librarian would just help me fill up my basket with books. And so I'd come home and I'd read and read. Yeah, she was kind of my superhero. Loved her, loved coming home with all these books. And so I read a ton one book, you know, I was reading everything from Nancy Drew and Encyclopedia Brown and the Boxcar Children and just, you know, anything really that I could get my hands on. But I think maybe one book that really influenced me as a writer would be Emily Klein's. Um, and that book was written by Ella Montgomery. Um, and she it was sort of her personal journey in um it was sort of her personal journey in becoming a writer herself. She went on to write Anne of Green Gables, pretty popular book series. And and I just, I, I felt like I really understood Emily and her journey. She wanted to become a writer. Lots of people were telling her that she couldn't do it, that she wasn't good enough, that she would never become a writer. And I just felt like as somebody who's discovering my love of writing, I really felt like that book inspired me to continue to press on and push ahead and just start this journey of, of writing. And so that book was really instrumental in me eventually becoming a novelist. I love that so much. Just like the picture of you on your bike, writing to get the books. <laughs> I, you appreciated it. Kids today, if you can just get them on the Kindle, you don't appreciate it as much as if you had to ride a mile and wait for the bookmobile and all that. <laughs> exactly. It's a highlight of my week. But I have not actually read the Emily of New Moon series by Ellen Montgomery. Of course, I've read Anna Green Gables and loved it. Um, my sister read the Emily books. And um, that, I think that's so cool that it was, you know, like one of uh, Lucy's lesser known books that really connected with you and 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 gave you that encouragement. That's, you know, one aspiring writer from so many years ago to another young aspiring writer saying, you can do it. That's awesome. Yes, I know. Leaving that legacy of helping other, and it's not just teaching people how to write, but it's actually inspiring them to write. And that's what I loved about the story. That's so cool. I love that. Now, Melanie, is there anything interesting that you haven't covered on other interviews that you could share with us? And if not, is there something God's laid on your heart that you would like to share with your readers? Well, I just so appreciate what you both are doing to encourage historical novelists and encourage historical fiction writing. I just think that's such a gift to readers and to other writers out there to be able to really encourage the genre. And I just wanted to say thank you. 
There's this great quote that I've read from George MacDonald, who is a pretty well-known historical writer back in the 1800s. And he said, past tears are present strength. And just embracing the historical fiction, we learn, we love it. You know, they're, they're great stories. But also we can learn a lot about today by reading historical fiction. And I think it's a, I hesitate to use the word safer, but I think we can read these stories and we can somehow safely apply them to our life today and see ourselves in a different way and through a different lens, even as we sort of identify with these characters from the past. So all that to say, thank you for what you do. It's such a pleasure just for me to be able to talk to you today and to talk about one of my very favorite subjects. It's always a delight to be with like-minded people. Oh my goodness. Thank you. That was so kind of you. Darcy and I really just, we feel fortunate to be able to host the Historical Bookworm Show and authors and publicists have just been incredibly generous in, you know, allowing us to be a part of the process and getting in touch with readers. So Mm, I love that. It's a, it's definitely a group effort. (laughs) That's awesome. That it is 100%. Now let's take a moment to talk about your latest release, The Wings of Poppy Pendleton. In this compelling new time slip mystery, a little girl goes missing from her family's castle in the Thousand Islands of New York. 85 years later, a journalist teams up with a woman living on Coster Isle to find out what happened to Poppy. 1907. On the eve of her fifth birthday, Poppy Pendleton is tucked safely in her bed, listening to her parents entertain New York's gilded society in their Thousand Islands castle. The next morning, she is gone, and her father is found dead in his smoking room. 1992. Though Chloe Riddle lives in the shadows of Poppy's ruined castle, she has little interest in the mystery that still captivates tourists and locals alike. She is focused on preserving the island she inherited from her grandparents and reviving their vintage candy shop. Until the day a girl named Emma shows up on Chloe's doorstep with few possessions save a tattered scrapbook that connects her to the Pendleton family. When a reporter arrives at Chloe's store asking questions about her grandfather, Chloe decides to help him dig into a path she thought best left buried. The haunting truth about Poppy, they soon discover, could save Emma's life. Chloe and Logan must work together to investigate exactly what happened long ago on Coster Isle. So a child's disappearance a hundred years ago and a ruined castle in the United States, only 30 years from here. This definitely is a setup with sort of a spooky atmosphere and promises a good mystery. Was your novel inspired by a real life unsolved disappearance or did something else spark the idea? First of all, I loved hearing you read that back cover copy, Darcy. That's the first time I've heard anybody read it. And so I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, oh, I want to read that story. <laughs> right. It sounds really good. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's a great question. Was it inspired by a real life um, unsolved disappearance? It was inspired by a real life story. And it wasn't inspired by a disappearance necessarily on the Thousand Islands. It was inspired by something that happened in my own family back in the 1920s. A couple of years ago, I was with my aunt, my Aunt Janet, um, where our family lives in Ohio. And I was going through some old pictures and letters and such with her. And I stumbled on this picture and it was a family. It was um, two 
older people, two parents, and three kids. And I knew pretty quickly that one of the children was my grandfather and the other one was my great uncle, like in the 1920s. But my great grandmother was holding a baby, a little girl. And I had never heard of an aunt in my family's history. And so I asked my Aunt Janet, who was the little girl? I should say, I never heard a great aunt in my family's history. And I asked my Aunt Janet, who this little girl was. And so she tells me this story that back in the late 1920s, both my great grandparents died tragically, different, different reasons that they passed away. And when they died, my grandfather and my great uncle were both sent to live with an aunt. But sometime in the 1920s, they had also adopted a little girl. And when they passed away, the little girl disappeared. My aunts, none of them knew what happened to this little girl. She was just kind of written out of our family history and then never heard of her again. And so this gets my mind going. I have this picture of this little girl. And again, you know, the journalist in me is trying to find out what happened to her. None of the none of my aunts knew what her name was. My grandfather and my great uncle have since passed away. And so just like this intriguing mystery of who this little girl. And so I worked with my stepmother, who's a brilliant genealogist. And we started to do all this research and looking at obituaries and all sorts of library materials and census, census work and, and that sort of thing. And we were able to uncover that her name was Marjorie, which was huge just to find that name and that she was eventually adopted by a family a couple hours away not quite sure what her journey looked like, not quite sure what that happened. I was relieved to discover, of course, that she landed in a home. But in the midst of all this, I, I started thinking of this story before I found out what happened, that she had been adopted again. You know, what happened to this little girl? She she disappeared. She was in a very a wonderful family. Her parents died and she's gone. And so I've got that story in my, in my mind. And then at the same time, I read several books, one by Susan Mack, Mathis and another one called The Humming Room um, that were set in the islands, the Thousand Islands of New York. And I never even heard of the Thousand Islands before. Beautiful area with all these Gilded Age castles and all this lore and mystery and legend. And so I matched those two things together and decided to, um, to write The Wings of Poppy Pendleton to find out what happened to a fictional girl who disappears named Poppy. Oh my goodness. That is just fascinating. I like how so many pieces came together to inspire you. Yes. Yeah. That's the beauty of writing fiction. You can bring in all these different pieces and create a story that that's just inspired by something that happened in the past. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that Marjorie found a home and also that you got to find the answer to that question. Cause it's like, that would have been terrible if you'd been left hanging. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> what happened to her? But you mentioned this is set in the Thousand Islands, which I hadn't really heard of either, but it's in New York's high society days, the Gilded Age. So what cool tidbits of history did you uncover while researching that? Oh, so much history. Like I said, I could just stay in the history. I These islands in the 19, well, turn of the um, century, the 1800s to the 1900s, and this 
area was just a mecca for what they would call new money people from New York City who would come up and they were sort of showing off their income and their their new wealth. And so they would buy islands and they would build these grand European castles. And so even today you can go up, I was able to go research and I was able to tour two of the castles that are open to the public today, the Singer Castle on Dark Island, they call it, and then the Bolt Castle um, on a separate island, Heart Island is that island. So you can go up there and see these homes that the Gilded Age set built. And they kind of built bigger and better homes. You know, somebody went, uh, the George Pullman built one and then somebody else tried to outdo him with the bigger castle. And you know, they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to show who was more wealthy. But the Bolt Castle in particular was really fascinating because it had been built by a millionaire, multimillionaire in New York. George Bolt was his name. He was the proprietor of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. And he came up and he built this grand castle for his wife, Louise. And um, it, it's amazing. I toured it. It's it's beautiful. And in fact, a lot of the elements of my castle on Coster Isle were inspired by Bolt Castle. But it's a sad story because he had this amazing castle, all these tunnels, all these rooms, all these outbuildings. And then his wife died in 1904. And so his wife, it was unexpected, suddenly passed away. And that was the end for George Bolt. So he never went back to the island. He never um, finished the castle. It just sat there for almost 80 years. And of course, very became very decrepit and derelict and and this castle was just kind of falling apart and then some people came in in the 1970s and restored it to it's it's just beautiful the gilded age glory i would call it um they left some of the rooms though undone and so I, they left some of the rooms unfinished and so i was able to see the unfinished rooms as well as sort of the finished rooms and all of that together, um, I feel like I sort of took that that unfinished castle, that tragedy in 1904, and and this is I, this is what I do with my writing. I, a lot of times, I take unfinished stories or stories that have sad endings and try and and write a redemptive ending for it. It's just how my brain works. I'm always trying to find the good in really hard places, and so I sort of took that castle, the unfinished castle, restored it in my mind, <laughs> and and put it out there as the story for the wings of Poppy Pendleton. What cool firsthand research, man. Now I got to go visit this castle. <laughs> yes, <damn>. you do. <laughs> you really that's do. A, that's amazing. I, I like the idea of uh, taking an unfinished or, you know, tragic story from history and, um, and, you know, taking it further so we can see something hopefully uh, beautiful, redeemed come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the blurb gives us a touch of Chloe's backstory. She's inherited a candy shop from her grandparents. But all we know of Logan is that he's a reporter. What brings him to investigate Chloe's grandfather and the tragedy of Poppy Pendleton? So Poppy Pendleton, I, I won't give away I certainly won't give away what happens in the story, but from the back cover copy, you know, she disappears in 1907. She's five years old. She's gone from this castle and nobody knows what happened to her. 
So over the years, reporters have come. It was a very big media story back in 1907, very similar to the real history story of Charles Lindbergh and his son when his baby disappeared. And so a big media event happens back in 1907 when she's gone. And over the years, reporters have tried to solve the mystery. People have done all of this research, tried to find out what happened to her. Nobody's able to find out. And so then... Fast forward to 1992, when my quote unquote contemporary stories takes place. And this reporter, it's, a, it's another anniversary. It's been, I believe, 85 years now since, since Poppy disappeared and it's her birthday is coming up again. And so this reporter from a Syracuse newspaper comes up to try and solve the mystery like so many others have done before him. And so he goes to the island where a young woman now named Chloe Riddell lives and Chloe's grandfather had been the caretaker for the Pendleton family. And so he had inherited the castle and then the cottage where Chloe lives. So he goes to to try and find the story. And at first, she doesn't want anything to do with it because she doesn't want the tourists coming out and sort of coming on her island and destroying her property. But the more they discuss things, the more she is open to reviving this old story. And then Logan, I, I loved writing his character. He is uh, he was a former firefighter. He had a tragedy in his life that happened. And so he is also trying to redeem hard stories. And so he is he has a very personal um story. He has a very personal reason for wanting to come back and find out what happened to Poppy. And he's just not going to stop until he finds out, which is a good thing, right? That's what you want in a character who's just not going to stop until they find answers. And eventually, without giving away the story, he does find out what happened to Poppy. That's cool. Um, I don't know if this is relevant, but it's making me think of the old Sleeping Beauty fairy tale where all the princes tried and it had to be finally the right one who found, uh. who got, got the princess. So Logan is finally the reporter that gets to crack the case, but it sounds like he's going to work pretty hard for it. So I love that. Yes, he does. He has to work really hard to find out. Well, what is next for you? Yes, and the, the writing process is so interesting because I finished this book over a year ago. And yes, of course. And so I've since written a novel. I wrote a book, uh, The Story of Hagar, actually a fictionalized book about her story. And now I'm working on another time slip mystery and I'm right in the middle of it, halfway through. And this one is about an old book club that's been around for about 120 years and um, contemporary story is somebody trying to find out how this book club began all those years ago and then just uncovering this mystery of their history. And so it's so much fun. I love I love the mystery element of being able to write split time or time slip or dual timeline. People call it different things, but, but multi-timeline fiction. I love being able to go back in history and find out, you know, solve these mysteries and then bring it into our present and have it change people's lives today. And so that's what I'm working on and title to be determined hopefully soon. Uh, but that book will come out probably next year. That's awesome. So not only is it about a book club, which will be super fun for us readers, but like you say, it's the dual timeline gives you that opportunity to very obviously show how the past affects our present. It always does, but this just really gives you an opportunity to kind of bring that to the forefront. That's cool. 
And for our listeners, Melanie is offering a copy of The Wings of Poppy Pendleton. To enter, just check out our giveaway page on our website, historicalbookworm.com. You'll also find a direct link to the giveaway in the show notes for this episode. And Melanie, where can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah, they can go right to my website. It's just my name, MelanieDobson.com. And that has all sorts of information about all of my historical novels. I also am very intentional about having a research page because I love the research so much. So every book that I write that has a historical element, I almost always, if I'm able to get to the setting, I go and I research the setting. And so I'll have all sorts of pictures like I have up there right now of the Thousand Islands. It's sort of the story behind the story and what inspired all my different novels. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing about your new story and everything that went into that. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. I've had so much fun talking to you both. You've been listening to the Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.